3: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, I came across you because you wrote in and you had this really, really awesome story. Uh, and you also happen to have shows on the CWTV, which you know most people may not know this, but I have the pop culture taste of a teenage girl, so I love the CWTV. <laughs> uh, so uh, that aside, can you tell us um, a bit about yourself, uh, your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Actually, I am one of those very lucky people that found what they love to do early in life. And I think that's what it's really guided my path. You know, like a lot of kids, I got a magic set for Christmas. And I think unlike, um, you know, everything else I got that year, that magic set was just it was just the focus. It was just for some reason, I was drawn to it. Everything else kind of disappeared underneath the tree, if you pardon the expression. And I was I was instantly taken by magic. And so that was it. I was hooked, and it's funny looking back on it to think I knew what I wanted to do with my with my life at five years old. Uh, but I did. I knew I wanted to be a magician, so I got this magic set. And you know, at it, it, it five, you know, it's even challenging to open it up, read it, learn it, perform it. Um, so it it was difficult. I remember I had an older cousin who uh, stopped over for the holiday and he would read it and he would kind of help me with it when he would perform some of the tricks i remember feeling amazed and i was just taken with it so and my parents instantly saw how much i i loved it and they were very supportive you know they they you know i don't think they ever imagined i wanted to make it a career at that point but anything that i was that i was excited about they were very encouraging so i had this little magic set and every year for for birthdays or for other holidays, for other Christmases, I would get other magic sets. And it was like, it started me down the path. And I just became, I couldn't get enough information. I wanted to learn everything that I could about it. And to this day, I'm very much the same. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm 30 years into this now and I'm still an eternal student of of what I do. I, you know, and I hope I always stay that way. Um, and that's the great thing about magic, just to give you a little sidebar. I, there is so much information out there about magic. I don't think you ever reach the point where you go, I've learned everything. And to me, that's tremendously exciting. Somebody told me once, and I was—I haven't verified this, but somebody said that there's more books <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Somebody said that there's more books written about magic than there are medical books, which is pretty amazing and, and a little scary if you think about that. Um, but anyways, so – you know, I, I was taken with magic and I became very goal driven. And I wanted to learn everything I could. And remember, this was in a time before YouTube or the internet or you know, even the, the hundreds of cable channels that we have. So if you wanted to learn something, you had to dig deep. You had to go to libraries, you had to, you know, I would scour the the TV listings. Every Saturday when the, when the newspaper would come for the following week, I would go through the TV section and I would go show by show and see if a magician would be on, <clears throat> excuse me, that I could, that I could watch. Um, and I would tape them. I set a VCR tape and, and uh, you know, and, and tape them. And I just couldn't get enough information about what I wanted to do. So as I got a little bit older, uh, we found a magic store in downtown Pittsburgh. I'm from Pittsburgh. And so every couple of weeks, my dad would take me down there. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is going out. <clears throat> Every couple of weeks, my dad would take me down there. And I would spend hours down there, hours, literally going through everything in the glass cases. I wanted to know everything about everything. And I would spend my allowance on, on new pieces of magic, just these little tricks, the kind of things that you know, um, kids and, and, and teenagers would do. I would go home and I would practice them and I would start to build a show. And again, being goal-driven, it was all about not just learning magic for magic's sake. It was about, you know, what can I do with this? How can I build a show? Where can I take this? How can I start performing? I just wanted to move forward. So I started to do my – I did my first professional show when I was 12 years old. Um, And I'm very lucky that I come from a very supportive community uh, because they gave me a chance. They gave me a chance to – you know, perform, they would hire this 12 year old kid and invite this 12 year old kid to come and entertain, uh, with his box of magic at their company events. These were, these were all adults. These were, in many cases, they were, there were business people, uh, or, you know, there were large groups of community events. And in, I would come this 12 year old kid with a, like I said, a box of magic and I would do my show. And, you know, it, it just, it fueled me. It fueled me to keep going. That was the start of me on a path to, to um, consistently and constantly think about how do I keep making this better? How do I keep pushing forward? And to this day, that was, that's still like the inner monologue I have in my mind. It, how do I keep pushing forward? You know, that is, that is the motivation of my life. So once I was off and running and I started to do local shows – they, they, you know, I was very fortunate. They, they kind of snowballed a bit. So the more I did, the more shows um, I was called to do, and I love that. I, you know, I it was just, it was wonderful to be 12, 13, 14, and to be even living my dream at that point in time. Uh, and I think it's a very positive force on somebody growing up. I mean, it gives you, it, it leads you in a very positive direction for many reasons. So, you know, I was given opportunities at many points throughout this process, again, by very supportive family, very supportive community. The more the people would hear about what I did, um, the more they would encourage it and embrace it, and it gave me confidence. Uh, I'll tell you, one turning point was, when I was 16, the band director for our uh, our high school came up to me and said, you know, I hear you're a magician, and I said, that's true. And he said, is it possible for you to make a girl disappear, make somebody disappear from the football field in one of our halftime shows, in one of the football games? I said, absolutely. You know, because it was, It was. Uh, you know, I saw, I, I didn't even think of any reason why I couldn't do it. There was never any doubt. There was never any, uh, it, it wasn't even that I had a doubt and I got over it. It was, just there wasn't a doubt. It was absolutely, you know, I could make that work. Uh, and I think don't, somebody told me once, don't know what you can't do. And I think that that, was really true at that point in time doubt never entered my mind i said sure let's do this and it really gave me a chance to expand into a direction that i now love which is large-scale magic uh, in in large places so i would get permission to get out of school to get out of classes and i'd get onto the woodshop where the students would build this illusion that i was kind of directing them to build supervised by the woodshop teacher and you know, how many kids at 16 have a chance to, you know, kind of direct uh, building this large scale, you know, prop uh, on the school's time? Uh, and, and, you know, and, you know, they were again, they obviously covered the cost of all the materials and everything for, for that. So it was a wonderful opportunity. And we did it. We took it out to the football field. I was very nervous. Uh, you know, there were hundreds and hundreds of people out there for this game and it worked. And the girl disappeared. And I remember the audience uh, just responded. They just – they they cheered. Um, and I got chills. You know, it, it just it – w- it was an amazing experience. It was a life-changing experience. And again, it was one of those kind of road markers where you go, okay, where do I go from here? How do I build on this? You know, again, climbing that mountain, it wasn't about just staying at the same level. It was we've done this. Where do I go now? So – I started to uh, save everything that I earned from all the shows that I was doing with the goal of building my show in a large direction. I wanted to move forward and do more things like that football illusion, big, big pieces, making people appear, making people disappear, things of that nature. Uh, Again, which is which is kind of rare for somebody in their teens. But again, don't know what you can't do. So I just figured, you know what, I'm going to do this. Never even questioned it. So I saved up, you know, the, the the money from the shows, and I did a lot of research through, uh, through, you know, asking any source that I could, making phone calls. Uh, there were monthly magic magazines, there still are, and I would go through them and look for anybody who might be a good person to contact. Uh, and I found a builder, and and he built my first illusions. And so I started to add these larger pieces to my show. You know, one of the first things we did was we cut a girl into four pieces and mixed her up and put her back together in this kind of mixed up way. Uh, It's one of the classic illusions in magic. Uh, And I loved it. I loved having a chance to do that. And every couple of months, you know, I would figure out what's the next thing. What's the next thing? And I started to build a show. I did a show in high school uh, in a high school auditorium when I was a senior. Where we kind of debuted all these illusions then i did a show when i was in college when i was a freshman where we kicked it up a notch as they say and i put more things in the show and then all throughout college it was the same thing it was okay when i graduate from college i want to do an even bigger show so my senior year in college we staged a much bigger show at one of the theaters in downtown pittsburgh with many new illusions by that point i had designed probably 10 or 12 brand new illusions, things that people hadn't seen before. And I'd spent my college years working and doing shows, you know, obviously and having these things built and constantly expanding my show. So by the time I was a senior, we had a show filled with, you know, appearing motorcycles and I would levitate in the air. And we even did this piece where I would get chained up to this frame between these two walls of steel spikes. And, If I didn't escape in time, the spikes were thrust at me at 50 miles an hour. So it was a pretty, you know, we try to make it pretty spectacular. So by a senior in college, uh, that's the show that we were doing. So, again, it was it was a never ending, nonstop journey of how do I continue down this path? Wouldn't have done it, couldn't have done it if it wasn't for, again, the community that I came from and giving me the constant belief that. This is something that I could do, you know, and as as college kind of ended and I figured, okay, what are we what am I going to do from here? How do I keep going forward? Uh, I became very proactive. To that end, I started to look beyond my hometown for opportunities and I tried to figure out ways that I could, again, expand. How do I how do I now branch out? They were producing a show in Los Angeles called The World's Most Dangerous Magic. That I had heard by this point, you know, uh, everybody was online. The internet was coming in by the time I was a senior in college, and so I started to, to research heavy. I found this show, and I uh, sent them some information on myself. And I said, you know, we have this dangerous illusion. You're doing a show called The World's Most Dangerous Magic. I have the perfect illusion for you, uh, and I and I kind of pitched them on the idea of that big spike escape that we have. And, you know, they, and I said, and one of the maybe interesting things might be is that I'm, you know, I'm 20. So I don't know how many, you know, 20 year olds you're going to have on the show. And they, they thought that was kind of kind of interesting. So they had me send, send them a videotape. And I'll tell you, it's a classic kind of story of persistence that I think everybody needs to, to learn. I sent them the videotape and I never heard back from them. And so I called them and I said, yeah, 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 we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So I waited. And then I called them again about a week and a half later. And they said, no, we'll get to it. I said, you know what? I really appreciate it if you you would. And they said, you know what? We'll listen to it now. So I heard them listen to the tape. I heard it playing in the background. And it sounded like they liked it. And they said, "Okay, you know, that looks great. And we love the fact that you're young and you have this. We're very close to doing this. We want you to make some changes. Do this, 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 and this. And can you get us a tape by the end of the week? Again, it was climbing a mountain, but again, it was, yep, absolutely. Didn't know what I couldn't do. I just said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Absolutely. So we set up the illusion. We rented a hall. We got a videographer. We made all the changes. They had that tape in their hands days in advance before they probably even expected to have it. And sure enough, you know, to their word, they called and said, okay, you know, we, we love it. You know, you, you're you're in. And I was thrilled. I mean, to be, you know, I was 21 at that point, and invited to come to Hollywood and to do a a national special for NBC was, um, it was just thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling, and it kind of validated everything that I had done up to that point. You know, watching all the magicians on television growing up, and going through the TV listings looking for, and and, reading all the magic books, and just, you know, always with that goal in mind. You know, it, it showed me that all that work. Uh, had led me in the right direction. So we were, we went to Hollywood and we taped the show and it was, it was a, it was a great experience. You know, it was, we were all, again, we were all, everybody on my team, we were all 21, 22 at that point in time on the show with people who were twice our age, you know, easy. So I was very proud that we'd achieved this at that age and it was still a challenge. So when we got there, I'll tell you a little bit about it. We got there and, you know, everybody was fantastic. They were great to work with. And, you know, they, but in our presentation, they said, okay, it looks great, but can you do this, this, and this to it? Absolutely. Went back to our hotel. We used, we made like a makeshift prop out of everything we had in the hotel room. We used the desk, we used the chairs, we used the bed. We shaped every, we put it back to where we found it, of course, when we were done, but we shaped everything into kind of like a makeshift prop. That we could, that would mimic our platform that we were using for our escape illusion, because we didn't have that at the hotel. And we rehearsed, and the next day we gave them exactly what they wanted, and you know everything worked out perfect for the show. And that was the first time that I had really gotten the national exposure uh, for our work, and it was it was uh, you know again another another turning point. So I went back to Pittsburgh. I was still a senior in college at this point. I graduated a week after the show aired. So the show aired, you know, May 2nd of 1999. I graduated May 9th of 1999 from college. So I was still in college when it aired. And once I graduated with my degree in, in marketing, it was all about, okay, now let's go out to California. I had already got a little taste of it and I want to combine magic and television. That's my goal. That's the next step in climbing this mountain is magic and television and uh, you know, there was no, there was no question to me that to reach the audience that I wanted to reach, that's what was needed to be done. So that's what I did. I got in a car and I drove from Pittsburgh to California and just, I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't have, you know, uh, all I knew was I'm going to get out there. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to hit the ground running. And that's what I did. You know, uh, I didn't take time to stop or sightsee. I just got in a car, drove to California, and and hit the ground running when I got to California, and immediately found a, a you know a little apartment at the time, set up my computer, set up my phone, and and started working, started working you know immediately, uh, day in day out, seventeen hours a day, seven days a week, making phone calls, driving to meetings. Um, I would take. I would take uh, garbage bags filled with, with VHS tapes that I had dubbed uh, to the post office, hundreds of VHS tapes. Because back in those days, there was no, again, no YouTube, no online video. This was even before DVDs were, um, you know, available to burn in your own home and create in your own home. And I would mount videotapes by the hundreds to people um, to, again, get the message out on what I was doing. <clears throat> excuse me, to get the message out of what I was doing. And, uh, you know, it was, I was very, very proactive with it. And when you move to Los Angeles, I think a lot of people will tell you this, you, you know, you become a small fish in a very big pond. You, you literally start, you have to start over because it's, it's an enormously competitive Uh, market out here. Everybody out here is trying to do the same thing. Thousands of people come here, you know, daily to try and do the same thing. Um, And to get in the doors to see the people to make the proper contacts are challenging because so many people are trying to do that. Not that everybody's trying to do magic, but just to try and make the proper connections. It is, you talk about climbing a mountain, it is climbing a mountain. And it's not something that you do overnight. For me, it took It took several years of, um, you know, really working to get a foothold in in everything in, uh, you know, in the business out here to meet enough people to show them what I do to really understand how everything works. Um, It it took a while. It took a while. And I'm thankful that it did because, you know, it it, overnight success sometimes is not a good thing. I think I think you need to take time to um not only pay your dues you know i think dues paying is very important but i think it needs to to happen over time so that you appreciate uh you know what you're doing you appreciate it when you get there you understand the value of your work uh and you don't take it for granted and i don't take my career for granted i'm very appreciative and very thankful of, of you know what i have what i have represents you know 30 years of constant work um so I think, I think the journey in, in L.A. definitely gave me that perspective. So you know, as I pushed forward and I continued to uh, make headway in Los Angeles, I started to uh, travel and do shows not only in, in, in L.A. where I'm based, but we started to travel all over the country. And I say we because I have a team of people who work with me. Uh, who assist and who you know basically assist with the show and uh, you know when you do a large scale show it's certainly not a one man not a one man effort so I began to travel uh, all over the country and and I love it because I get to meet people everywhere and and really share our magic with people everywhere and it's become you know such an enjoyable experience so I'm living the dream as they say you know it wasn't it wasn't an easy it wasn't an overnight uh, process, but, you know, it took, it was a step-by-step process over a lot of time, uh, over a lot of trial and error to learn what worked and what didn't work. And, and, you know, I eventually was able to get there. And I think that's the key. The key that I would tell anybody is stay on the path, just stay on the path. Don't know what you can't do. And if it's what you really want to do, if you stay on the path, you will get there. So, you know, I think for me that's, that's, you know, the driving force in what's allowed me to, to be able to make a career out of something that I love, hmm. which is rare. So, you know, I'm a lucky guy.
0: Wow. Um, a lot of really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I want to go back to the very beginning and talk specifically about... Receiving that magic set, and I want to ask this in a different way uh, than I've asked it in the past. What would you say to parents who may be listening who have potentially spotted something like that in their kids, or how they might recognize moments like that uh, when their kids have them?
3: I would say to encourage it. You know, even if it's not something that they end up doing as a career, I think giving a, a, a you know a kid a hobby uh, that they enjoy. I think it creates such a positive impact on their life in many ways. You know, it helps their imagination. It helps them socially. It gives them confidence. It gives them even cognitive development. You know, when I would read and I would learn the magic and I would do the magic it, it, you know, I was going step by step by step by step learning something And, and it, it allowed me to, to do that. It helped my learning process. Um, you know, it, it was it, it was beneficial in many ways, and I think, you know, whether it's you know playing a sport, whether it's being involved with music, whether it's doing magic, I think, you know, I would tell parents to to encourage that. It it just it creates a world of good in, in many many ways for the, for a child. Hmm.
0: Well, let's do this. Let, let's talk specifically about navigating a career that has no map to it, uh, and how one goes about doing that because I mean, nowadays you have the internet and you've got a world of opportunity at your fingertips, but there's really, you know, no matter how we slice it or how much we might think we could learn it from an online course or blog post or podcast, no map for how you get to where you're at. And as somebody who has navigated a career without a map uh, in any traditional sense of the word, I'd be really interested in hearing your perspective on this uh, across any creative career.
3: Well, I think, I think the answer is You take it in a you take it step by step and you learn from every step. If you talk to anybody in both a creative and a non-creative business, one of the things I've learned is that no path to success for anybody has been the same. Mm -hmm. Everybody has taken a different path and they've taken kind of a different their own way to get there. I think the biggest key to doing that is again doing it step by step. And really evaluating what is working for you, what is not working for you, what do you want to continue with, what do you not want to continue with. And being flexible, adjusting as you go, uh, and being open to that flexibility. You know, there are many ways to get to one end point.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: For me, the end point was, was was kind of two-pronged. It was television, and it was touring with our live show. Uh, we're very fortunate that we got to both. Um, and there, you know, but there was there was multiple avenues explored. Some worked, some didn't. Uh, but I really I was like a sponge, and I learned everything that I could from even what didn't work. And I I think that is important. You know, I, I think having an analytical mind, uh, a kind of an analytical mind and a process to your experiences as you're moving forward is very helpful. It allows you to. Not only come up with new ideas, but not to repeat things again that that aren't going to be productive. There are only so many hours in a day. So I think it's really important to figure out a way to be as efficient as possible with your time so that you can move forward as quickly as possible. Because, you know, it's a snowball. The quicker you move forward, now you want to do it the right way and at the right time. That said, the quicker you're able to move forward – the more you're able to get, the more you're able to move forward, the more you're able to, and and, there's really no limit to where you could move. It's a world full of possibilities out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's for me, that was very much it. I I always had my kind of, um, my kind of ear face forward and listening to the feedback that I was getting from everybody, both from audiences and in business situations. And I was constantly adjusting, constantly adjusting uh, until I figured out exactly what would work for me. And I think that that's the key to anybody's pursuit of, of you know, any endeavor.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. hello?
0: It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I mean, as I've, I've gone through the process of building a show, it, it certainly wasn't what it is today when we started it literally was nothing but a blog post with an mp3 file link to it
3: yeah absolutely and you know i'm sure you you know as you went you learned from each experience uh and the great thing about what i do is you know you're in front of hundreds of different people at any given point in time so you have hundreds of different pieces of feedback coming at you at any point in time and you know, so it's a great it's a, it's a great learning tool. You know, there are pieces that I've developed for my shows, where and you know musicians will tell you this too. When you ask about like hit records and hit songs, you know sometimes things that they think are going to be great and pieces of magic you think are going to be great just don't really connect. And other times you're surprised. You put a piece in the show, you know, and you go, okay, this is this is a nice piece in between two really big pieces, and that little nice piece becomes a showstopper. You don't know sometimes. But again, you you learn from it and you figure out the why behind it. I'll give you a quick example. I developed this piece for our show. Uh, it's a unique piece uh, that involves a kind of a lifeless plant. And it's sitting in a, a, on a plexiglass table in just a kind of a plant pot. And in the course of the trick, I talk about, you know, as adults, we kind of lose our sense of the magic. We lose our sense of believing in unlimited possibilities kind of like, you know, that, that sense of wonder kind of disappears kind of like the life from this plant, but nothing's permanent. And I instantly take that lifeless plant and I take it back in time and it becomes a little green sprout. And I talk about how, now, if you remember what it was like when you were a kid, when you felt like anything was possible, that's going to open up all sorts of possibilities for you in life. And as I say that, that little sprout grows into a full, rosebush, a full like, three foot tall, three foot wide rosebush with, with blooming roses that I pick and I give to the ladies in the audience. Now, that's a piece that, you know, in compared to escaping from the steel spikes or walking through the walls or floating in the air, it's smaller in scale. And I figured, OK, it'd be a nice story piece to put into the show. When we put that in the show, the response, it kind of had this rolling response to it. It kept going and kept going, and kept going, and I thought, okay, maybe it's a flute, maybe it's just this show, and it just connected with this audience. The next night, the response kept going, and going, and going, and you know, it was amazing, it was a surprise to me, and what I found was, as I really thought about it, and I talked to people about it, was that, you know, it connected with people, the message behind it really connected with people, and that feedback led me in a whole direction, to be honest with you. It let me Go, you know what, that to me, that's that's a strength that I think I could bring to magic is giving it stories and not just demonstrating tricks, but giving the magic a reason, an emotional purpose. Uh, not necessarily something, you know, grand or lofty or but just something subtle that people can connect with and relate to and understand. Uh I think that is going to be tremendously helpful. And so I started to add that, not only to the new pieces that I added in my show, but into, you know, I went back and some of the old, the older pieces in our show, I started to kind of re-script them and rework them. And again, not in major ways, in little subtle ways. And I found the response that we would get uh, was was, you know, enhanced. It was, it was the magic was really, uh, again, for lack of a better term, connecting with the audience, and I, and to me, that is, that's my goal. My goal is not to just get up and demonstrate a bunch of magic effects. It's not what I'm out to do at all. My goal is to connect with an audience on an emotional level, kind of like when they watch a movie, and have them just let go, and have them just, you know, forget about everything that's going on in their lives, all their stresses you know, uh, all the challenges and just let go and, and um, be amazed and, and be kind of uplifted. You know, it's, it's a positive, you know, I want to create a positive space, uh, you know, with our show. So I will give you, let me give you a couple examples of some of the messages we've added to our shows. So you can see what I mean as far as how to make magic connect with an audience rather than just demonstrating illusions. So I, already, I told you about the rosebush piece, which uh, was one of the first pieces that really we gave a little story to. So I do this piece on my show where I walk through a steel wall. It's a seven-foot tall, four-foot wide, one-inch thick plate of steel. It weighs 200 and some pounds, uh, probably even more than that. We have several guys lift it. It's incredibly heavy. We have to bring it to the stage on this big cart. Anyways, it's this giant plate of steel. We get somebody from the audience up. They examine it. They rub their hands over it. It's completely solid. And, you know, I walk through the center of this plate of steel. I walk right through the center. And the story that we give it is that, you know, in life, certain barriers may seem insurmountable. But my job is to prove to you that absolutely, you know, there's no barriers that could stop us from getting whatever we want in life, which is really kind of my story as well. So it's using the walking through the steel wall as a little bit of a a, a positive example of that message of there are no barriers that are going to really stop us. Um, And it, it, it had a really positive effect. And that piece, and I tell the audience this too during the presentation, that piece took seven years. Seven years from the time I had the idea to the time where I actually performed it on stage. So even just in being able to perform that, you know, in and of itself, displays conquering what was it many times excuse me an impossible barrier so you know that's a little message we give that piece the piece where i levitate in the air 10 feet in the air you know when i was a kid to me floating in the air was always magic so and i knew i knew if i wanted if i you know was fortunate enough to have my big show someday and have a big show i wanted to float in the air so being able to do that is kind of kind of the, the fulfillment of a childhood dream or wish or vision that i had and i think people relate to that so you know that's that's the key that's that's kind of the the driving force behind our current show is finding ways to make the magic mean something for the audience so they walk away really feeling something uh, about it so that you know that's that's uh, there's a lot that goes into our show that i think um i think that you know even people don't realize Uh, But I enjoy the process.
0: Okay, so yeah, as you've been telling these stories, one of the things that has kept coming up over and over for me is that it seems to me that you have had this continual inner monologue of possibility throughout the entirety of your life. And what I'm interested in is how we start to change the monologues in our own lives to be ones of possibility instead of ones of fear and limitation.
3: I think the key is finding uh, something that you you know, are dedicated to something that you love to do. You know, I also think it's building up a strength. It is building up a um, belief that, you know, you have no reason to doubt or to question or to have negative thoughts. It doesn't mean things are automatically going to happen or that things are going to be easy. What you have to understand is, you know, everything out there that people have achieved, um, you can achieve too. If somebody else did it, there's no reason why you can't. Um, you may achieve it slightly differently. You may achieve it in your own way. but you know I think sometimes people's biggest barrier you know is their to your point, their own inner monologue that, you know their own self-doubt it, they might as well have a giant steel wall in front of them that they're trying to walk through. And it's such an you know in, in, intangible um, thing, but it, it sometimes it's just it's so limiting to people. I think people need to realize that you know there is nothing holding them back. There isn't. They're going to face challenges on the road. They are. They, they are. I have. Everybody has. But that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. path that's that does not going to work. It's about being flexible. You know. It, it, it's like uh, you know when you fly on an airplane, you see the wing kind of flexing, right? You see it kind of moving and bowing with the air. Uh, it's okay. It's what it does. You know, you're perfectly safe, and you're and you're gonna get there. You're gonna get exactly where you're going. I think that is, you know, I think people, I think they stop short too soon. You know, what they need to realize too is they, you never know how close you are. I've talked to many people in this business uh, who have kind of wanted to, you know, leave Los Angeles, move back home, do something different, and that's fine if that's what you want to do, but, you know. You never know how close you are to getting what you want. The next day that phone could ring and, you know, that life changing moment could happen, that life changing opportunity could happen. And it's happened to people. You know, I've heard interviews and I've talked to people who've had major successes in various businesses who said, you know, I was just so close to, you know, considering something else to do. And then my phone rang or then I found this opportunity and it, 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 Finally, happened. It finally came through. I think having that sense of possibility and not foregoing that sense of possibility is the key to having that positive inner monologue. Hmm. I, I think you know that is the key possibility. Knowing at any given moment it is possible, even when things seem really difficult. You know, it is like uh, it's like the dips and valley. You know, the peaks and valleys in a roller coaster. You know, sometimes you go down, you know, you, you, you're going down and it's a tough time. But instantly you're going to shoot back up again. And, and you are. You just you just simply are. So, you know, people need to keep that in mind. I think keeping that positive sense of possibility is the key. Mm-hmm. And it's been proven. It's been proven uh, by many, many people. And having the inner monologue, I got to say, is is a positive inner monologue is incredibly incredibly important to success it is incredibly important to success i think that is one of the first steps in the process of doing whatever you want in life again for me i was young i didn't i didn't i was young and i came from a positive family and a a supportive community it wasn't even a question of having to make a conscious decision there was no negativity there and so i just i just did i just moved forward that just shows you that, you know, when you don't have any kind of limiting thoughts, you you just do it. You just do it. And I think adults lose that. And I think they need to remember that. Hmm.
0: So one other question for you before we start to wrap things up. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is that your whole approach to this you know, from the time you were in high school has been this sense of a show in a larger than life vision, like really big illusions and really big things. And I'm interested in how you bring that sense of a lot, how any of us can bring that sense of a larger than life vision into the work that we do.
3: Well, it's about not limit again, not limiting yourself. I will give you an example And, and, and trying to find places where you might be able to exceed where other people haven't gone before i'll give you a couple of examples of that kind of what what would you know we were able to do here about eight or nine years ago i had that exact question to myself how can i expand in a larger larger than life you know direction how can i move in a, in a different direction but a really big direction what can i do and I decided I wasn't going to. There was no wrong answer to the question. Nothing was off limits. Nothing was off limits. And quite honestly, I, you know, the, let me just interject this. I started writing stuff down, and you'd be surprised. at – you know, when you when you kind of go in with that premise that nothing's off limits, you'd be surprised at the ideas you come up with. You'd be surprised. And there are ideas in my in my notebooks and on my lists that I, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting to it And I hope I get a chance to get to it someday. But anyway, so I started to kind of answer that question and figure it out and uh, look at the world and go, where can I take this? Where can I take this? And we found, uh, to me, one of the biggest performing venues in the country, in the world, are these stadiums, you know, these football and baseball stadiums where you have tens of thousands of people. And so I started to create magic that would work in these environments. Now, what you have to remember is when you go to these environments, you have people watching you from 360 degrees. You have people looking down at you from the top. You're under bright lights or you're under varying degrees of weather, varying degrees of wind. So it's a challenge. If you're going to go in this direction, there are many elements you have to face. So I figured out ways to take magic into these environments. And then I began to present this to you know the stadiums and you know kind of describing to them you know why the magic would work and how we would make it work and what we were going to come in and do and we began to do these shows and again in stadiums for halftime shows for football games for nfl halftime shows for nba playoff games and arenas for major league baseball teams and it was it was great it was it, was, it was thrilling. And we've now done about 15 stadium shows over the year. The biggest one we did, we were surrounded by 70,000 people. And, uh, you know, talk about the fulfillment of trying to take magic or whatever you do in a large direction. For me, that was definitely, that was definitely you know it, or at least one of, one of the um, kind of um, endpoints of that goal was to, was to do that. Because I knew we were taking magic to a place where it hadn't gone before. And I knew we were taking magic to a, to a place that was larger than where magic is normally presented, you know. And I knew we were doing it in our own way, our own way, and being different with it. So I would tell people, much along those lines: sit down, come up with numerous ideas of where you want to go, you know, where do you want to do, where do you want to take this, where do you, see, and why do you want to take it there? And again, no ideas off limits. Nothing is too crazy or out there. Uh, and there's no wrong answer to the question. And you will figure out, I guarantee, many, many paths that you could potentially follow and move forward in. And I think, that is, I think that is essential in no matter what you are doing. It doesn't have to be magic. It doesn't have to be entertainment. It can be anything. If you think of any major uh, accomplishment of, of anybody – it's all because they sat down and they figured out, you know, the path they were going to take to do it. And they didn't limit themselves. You know, diseases that have been cured that for years, years, were, you know, it didn't stop people. And they thought in different directions and they thought in new directions and they, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, obviously their work in that direction is is so much more vitally important than, than anything that I can do. But you know, the thought process and the dedication and the conviction, uh, behind it is, is much the same as anybody who's trying to climb a mountain in their chosen field. So, you know, when we went to, I'll give you another example. When we went to Washington, D.C. a couple years ago, I levitated a girl, uh, above a float. <clears throat> I levitated a girl above a float in the 4th of July parade in Washington, D.C., and two hundred and fifty thousand people were lining the streets, and we made a girl float as this, as the float was moving down Constitution Avenue, and it, it was the first time a magician was ever invited to perform in the parade. And It was certainly the first time somebody was you know made the float above this uh, float in a moving parade. Um, but again, I, I wanted to figure out a way to take magic to you know a large audience in a large way, and it was there was nothing in my mind that said no that's not going to work that's not going to work you know you just you, you just did it you just move forward and you figure and it was very challenging I mean it, it took it took months of work to solve the problems and every time you would figure out one issue another issue would come up and but it was it was as I said earlier it was staying on the path and getting it done and I think that the biggest thing I could tell people about moving in a large-scale direction is not limiting what they think may or may not be possible. We wouldn't have, you know, people wouldn't have walked on the moon if they wouldn't have thought big, you know. Uh, those guys who did that just never thought that they, I mean, they just kn- knew that they were going to go for it and they did. So don't limit yourself is the biggest thing I could tell people.
0: Hmm. All right. So I have one question just out of morbid curiosity and we'll wrap things up. You said before we hit record, uh, I could ask you anything except how the magic works, yes, so what is this about I, i'm just curious about this unspoken code or or you know a spoken code between magicians that you don't reveal your your secrets Where does that come from? What is it all about uh, you know I mean is that one of the things that just ties magicians together as a tribe
3: Well, you know most of the times people think that that has to do with magicians protecting their secrets so that we'll continue to work that 's not the case. I think there's more than enough material out there to you know create um content to have a show with and to amaze an audience with. I think what magicians are trying to prevent, and certainly what I'm trying to prevent is robbing people of being amazed uh-huh. yeah, to a degree, you know what there are trade secrets, and like in any you know. And any endeavor, you know, you don't want your trade secrets getting out. But in the case of magic, you realize that when the secrets get out, you know, you're not robbing the magician, you're robbing the audience, because they can't be amazed anymore. There are very few things in life that give us that sense of complete amazement and wonder. Very few things. You and I will go through our our day today, and probably not feel amazed most of the day, if at all. Mm -hmm. When you watch magic you get to feel amazed. And I think when you learn how it's done, you're completely robbing, you know, yourself of that. And I think that's one of the that's to me, if you ask me why don't I want people to, you know, know how the magic works, for me, that's the biggest, that's the biggest reason. Hmm. You know, I could always come up with a new illusion to replace one that somebody might think that they know. But trust me, it's much more fun not knowing. I, I'll tell you this you know, I've been doing magic for so long. I've been doing magic for 30 years. Um, it's hard to be amazed anymore because you think like a magician, I wish I could turn that off for a little bit. <laughs> you know, you, you, you can't watch, you know, you, you, if you talk to film directors or musicians, they'll tell you the same thing where yeah. they start to, you know, kind of decode and decipher and kind of, uh, dissect, uh, what they're watching and they, you know, and for a magician, I think it's very true. You start to figure out the pieces of what's making the magic work, and it's very rare for a magician to be amazed. And I wish I could. I wish I can go back to feeling like that five-year-old kid who got the magic set, because it's a great, it's a great, great feeling. So that's 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 the thing. You know, yeah. You know, are, are some people holding their secrets because they want to keep their own personal secrets? Well, yeah, I, I think that that's also a part of it. You know, I think of course. But on a larger scale, you know, it just it takes the air out of the balloon for the entire art. It's like, would you want to go see a movie if they put in the in the movie theater, you know, the end of the movie? You know, if they had the end of the movie playing on a monitor as you walk into the theater, would you really want to sit through the, the two hours of that movie? No, they just took all the air out of it. They just took all the fun out of it. And I think that's the key to, you know, to not knowing the secret is that you don't want to. It just ruins, it ruins the experience for the audience. Um, and, and therefore, you know, it makes it a lot less fun for the magician because we like to see people be amazed. Hmm. So to me, that's the motivation behind that.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I think there are a lot of profound uh, life lessons and creativity lessons in, in that. So I'm really glad I asked the question because it, it, it brought up a lot of things for me to, to think about. So uh, I'm going to finish with uh, my final question, uh, which is how we finish everything here. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
3: I think it is doing things, having people do things in their own way. I think, you know, there are so many people in the world. I think when somebody finds their passion and they do it in their way, they have something that cannot be duplicated by anybody or anything else. And I think that's the key. I think that's the key. I think finding your passion and doing it as you doing it in your way. If you're a musician, if you're a magician, if you're an actor, if you're a writer, if you are, you know, uh, an accountant, or a, a truck driver, whatever you are, find your passion and do it in your way. And, you know, you will not only have much more fun in life, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you it'll be a much more positive experience and you will inspire other people along the way in ways that you probably don't even realize at the time. Hmm. So I think that's the key.
0: Well, this has been great, Michael. Michael I'm, I'm really glad you emailed me. I mean, it, this has uh, been a lot of fun and, and really entertaining and, and insightful. Um, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story uh, with our listeners.
3: Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope, uh, you know, I hope everybody enjoys our interview. And by all means, if anybody ever has any questions, find me online. I always love to hear from everybody.
0: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative.
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration